We're reading together from Matthew chapter 24, uh, page 830, not on the screen, sorry, um, from verse 36, 830 if you want to follow it in the small print. Jesus has just said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came. And swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his, let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We've been looking at Matthew chapter 24 now for a couple of weeks, and we've almost come to the end of the chapter, just one more text to go, and we've made some progress And I hope you've seen so far that we've avoided some potential mistakes in our approach to the things that Jesus has told us. One mistake might have been to decide that the study of all things relating to end times is speculative and therefore impractical. To that I hope you can see that as we've looked through Jesus' teachings so far that you've found it anything but impractical. Hopefully you found it helpful. Another mistake might have been to spend more time thinking about the events surrounding his coming than to think about the one who is coming. Yes, that can happen and we can care more about the timetable than the one we are waiting for. Another mistake might have been not to study this topic at all or to decide that Jesus isn't coming after all. Maybe you've come across that point of view. A scoffers who scoff at the very thought and make fun of the whole thing as we read about in 2 Peter 3 this morning. And there's another mistake that we could make that would be the worst one to make. To simply be unprepared for his coming. Now, as we'll see this morning, to be unprepared for his coming as an unbeliever is a terrible thing. But to be unprepared as a believer will cause its own problems because the whole of the New Testament is written with a view to this end, this event of great import that's for all the world, but especially so for believers. Without this great hope and the assurance of who we are waiting for and the promises he makes 
Our lives can become aimless and drifting instead of active and watchful and, as we'll see in the next few weeks, productive. Productive. As we abide in these words that Jesus gave to his disciples so that we might not just be forewarned and forearmed, but we might be active in gospel work. There are four things, four things in this little text this morning. First, in verse 36, which we looked at briefly last week, we see that Jesus taught the timing of his coming was uncertain. Jesus made it very clear that the timing of his coming is unknown. The only secret about the second coming of our Lord Jesus is the timing. Everything else is going to be wide open for the whole world to see. No one will have a doubt when he comes. And though his coming is certain, the timing is uncertain. And that's the case for very practical reasons. Calvin says here, Jesus wished the day of his coming to be so hoped for and looked for that yet no one would dare to ask, when will it come? And he goes on to say, the uncertainty of the time of Christ's coming, which for the most part induces idleness in men, ought to be a stimulus to our attention and our watchfulness. He's saying the reason that Jesus chose not to reveal this is an encouragement to obedience. Calvin is saying that the lack of knowing when Jesus will come produces indifference in the unbeliever but watchfulness in the believer. I find it amazing that one event can have two very different effects. The very same thing makes one person more careless and one more careful. And instead of asking why that is so, we should be concerned that we avoid siding with the unbeliever in our response by making sure we are careful in response. So Jesus says, there's uncertainty about my coming for this reason, to exhort us to be wary of the tendency we have to be sleepy. We'll come to some sleepy bridesmaids in chapter 25, we have a tendency to be idle, to be lazy. It's natural to be lazy in preparation for his coming. So he tells this in order to exhort us to be faithful in watching. That leads me to the question we all ought to consider. Uh, to what extent, apart from these sermons on this topic in these last few weeks, to what extent have you been thinking about and longing for the coming of Christ? Is it something that's part of your daytime routine and daytime thought patterns? Is it in your regular prayer time? Is it something that only gets attention once in a while, every few months? Maybe you've never thought about it at all. You'll probably know that in the world there are families and organisations that have adopted a motto or a purpose statement to describe them. Say, for example, the Olympic Committee has a motto, a faster, higher, stronger, together. The motto of the British monarchy is, God and my right shall me defend. And just for you, Vic, the motto of the Collingwood Football Club, may the magpie flourish 
and that of the Boy Scouts, at least when I was once involved. Be prepared. That's what Jesus was saying to his disciples. Be prepared because the default position is becoming indolent and lazy, to be unprepared. And as Jesus would go on to say, as we'll see in these next verses, this is not something you want to be unprepared for because to be unprepared for the day of his coming would be the worst thing that could ever happen to you. No unpreparedness which we've ever experienced in life can possibly be compared to the kind of spiritual unpreparedness about which Jesus is just about to warn us. Look at verse 37 to 39. Secondly, you'll see that Jesus taught that indifference to his coming was nothing new. He says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. By this Jesus explains himself by a comparison. He compares the days of his coming to the days of Noah to highlight the sudden and unexpected nature of his second coming. Now what was it about Noah that we ought to think about in this respect? Clearly Jesus is not thinking about after the flood when Noah and his family set out to inhabit the new world. Clearly he's not thinking about the days of the flood when Noah and his family in the floating zoo survived 40 days and 40 nights of God's watery judgment upon the earth. And Jesus is thinking about the days before the flood when Noah, as he built the ark, which took him 70 years, although God gave advance notice of the flood 120 years before, and Peter says of Noah he was a preacher of righteousness. Now the Bible is quiet on what people thought about Noah's ark building exploits. But surely it would be correct to assume that there would have been, apart from a mild form of curiosity about why he was doing what he was doing, a general dismissal of anything he said about the coming flood. Simply because... No one else ended up on board the ark with Noah and his family. And so it was, as Jesus said, that people were wrapped up in their own affairs. And so they will be before he comes again. They were going to be going about the usual things, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. They're going to be so wrapped up in these things so given attention to them that they're not going to be thinking about the greater realities around them. And interestingly, there's nothing wrong with anything that Jesus gives in this list. Jesus doesn't say that people will be thieving and murdering and pillaging. All of that may be true, but that's not what Jesus says. And why is that? Because Jesus wants to highlight that people are going to be preoccupied with the ordinary mundane activities of life, so much so that they have forgotten about the greater spiritual realities. The problem will be worldliness. They'll be so trapped by the routine of life 
that God is pushed to the margins and forgotten. So it's eating and drinking and marrying, all good things in in themselves that he speaks of. These are all the categories too of what makes up the joys of life. What better to celebrate some of God's best gifts to us in food and drink and marriage? Yes, but when God is left out of the picture in these simple things, then it becomes a habit of mind to leave God out of the picture all the time so that we become the proverbial frog in the kettle while the water temperature is going up all the time and we don't realise it. Let me tell you this, it's important, that neglect is a far more dangerous killer of spiritual life than anything else. Neglect. Neglect of God is a far more dangerous symptom of spiritual disease. It's far more dangerous than the particular instances of daring, open rejection of God that we may see around us. William Hendrickson says here, when the soul becomes entirely wrapped up in mundane things, however appropriate they are, so that these matters become ends in themselves and spiritual tasks are neglected, they are no longer a blessing to us. They have become a curse. They have become evidences of gross materialism, of false security and cold selfishness. Let what Jesus said be a wake-up call. You know, the the sad thing is as well, uh, these people are taken by surprise, but they shouldn't have been taken by surprise. And those who are unprepared on the last day will be in the same boat, excuse the pun, when the Son of Man comes again. Third, in verses 40 and 41, uh, Jesus taught that the separation caused by his coming will be eternal. And this is why he doesn't want us to be unprepared. This is why he speaks as he does here. Because his coming is finally going to divide belief and unbelief, the just and the unjust, the sheep and the goat. The point of the passage in verses 40 and 41 is to teach us the irreparable separation between the believer and the unbeliever, those who believe in the Lord and those who reject him. Now you've probably heard someone look at this text and preach on a passage like this as a proof text for the secret rapture. Now whether you believe in the secret rapture or not, and I for one do not believe in it, that doctrine is not taught here. When Jesus says two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left, this is not about the sudden disappearance of one and not the other, as if one suddenly vanishes. How do we know that? Because the verb to be taken means to be taken to judgment. So, for example, when Jesus says in Matthew 9, 15, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? 
the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will mourn. The idea is not here that the bridegroom is snatched away into heaven. The idea is that the bridegroom is taken away to death because that's going to happen to him. Something worse. And it has to be read here in the context of what Jesus has just said about those in Noah's day who were taken away by the flood. They didn't go somewhere better. They were killed. So it's very unlikely that Jesus is saying one who must be an unbeliever will be taken away. Oh, sorry, I'll say that again. It's very likely that Jesus is saying that one who will be taken away to be judged while the other will be spared, first one is an unbeliever and the second one is a believer. Both are alive at the time of his coming. It's not about a rapture, it's everything to do with judgment. When Jesus comes, there's going to be this separation between those who have embraced Christ and those who have not. Christ's coming is going to bring about a final division, just like he promised. J.C. Ryle catches the meaning here. He says, There shall be no time for parting words or a change of mind. When the Lord appears, there shall be no chance, a second chance. It will be like one person working in the field and judgment comes and two women working together and judgment comes, blessing on one, judgment on the other. Blessing on one, judgment on the other. Have you taken that into account in relation to yourself? Are you ready for that judgment? Jesus is going to spend a lot of chapter 25 telling us specifically how to be prepared for this judgment. But I want to say to begin with today that the first way we prepare for the coming judgment is to have a saving relationship with Jesus. If you're not now trusting in him, you're not ready for his return. And I do not want to stand before God not having pleaded with you to do business with him. Put your hope in him as saviour before you meet him as judge. It's so important. For all those who have trusted in Christ have no need to fear this judgment. Their judgment has occurred already in Christ. He has absorbed the judgment and wrath of God for them on the cross. And for them the second coming is going to be a day of victory It's for those who have not trusted in him, who are not trusting in him, who are unprepared and will face a day of woe and grief, an eternity of woe and grief. This is a hard teaching, you could say. Who can understand it? Who can accept it? All those who trust in the Lord Jesus understand it because these are the words of our Lord. And fourth, in verses 42 to 44, Jesus taught that preparation needed for his coming must be watchfulness. In verse 43, he gives us a warning illustration. He tells us a story about what happens when you're not alert, the results of that. He's alluding to the disaster 
the spiritual disaster of unpreparedness. And he teaches us that though believers don't know the timing of his return, we do know the temporal results of unpreparedness. Illustrations taken from common life of his day. The illustration of a robber or a thief breaking into a house at night. According to what I've read, thieves would often dig through brick, through the brick in homes at night and break in and steal. They mustn't have been double brick, that's for sure. And Jesus is saying that if the head of the house had known that the thief was coming and if he'd known what time the thief was coming, he would have been on guard to make sure his family was not harmed or his possessions were not stolen. And Jesus is showing us here an illustration of how a homeowner, by being diligent and watchful, could have presented something, prevented something. He's not blaming the man for being robbed, but he is raising this issue of unpreparedness. He's saying, you know there is a difference if you're not prepared for him, because he has told us that he's coming. He hasn't told us when but he has told us that he is and he's commanded us to be prepared. And if we're not prepared, unlike a homeowner who experiences a surprise break-in from a thief, we're culpable. It's amazing how often this theme is repeated in the New Testament. Just a few weeks ago, last year, we thought about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You yourselves know full well The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Paul reminds his readers that since they know Jesus is coming, they should not be overtaken by the day of the Lord as someone is overtaken by a thief in darkness. 2 Peter 3.10, we read it this morning. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away. Again, he warns of the suddenness and the unexpectedness of the coming day of the Lord to the unbeliever who doesn't even believe the Lord is coming, let alone plan for it. So Jesus is speaking here of a deliberate lack of preparation. You know, if you knew that a thief was coming to your friend's house and you warned them and said, I know a thief's coming to your house and they made no preparations, you would be rightly upset at their lack of thoughtfulness and preparation. But if you knew that a cyclone or a fire was about to hit your house somewhere in the days ahead and you made no preparation to protect yourself or your family, then your unpreparedness could be deemed culpable. And Jesus is saying here, you know that I'm coming. I've told you so many times. Don't be found unprepared. Be ready because being unprepared has dire consequences. Are you unprepared for the coming of the Lord? Are there other things which are more important in your experience than your relationship with him? Are there other things that you care about more than this? Spurgeon said, True conversion gives a man true security, but it doesn't allow him to leave off being watchful. Our Lord is coming as the judge of the whole world. He hasn't said when. He has just said, be ready, be prepared. So what do we do with these words of Jesus? 
What are we to do with them? Can I just suggest something simple? Just this. Don't close your ears to them. Now that we've been through them, now that we've noted them, now that we've seen their truthfulness and their urgency and their importance, don't leave it at that. For to do that and to do nothing more is to pay them no attention at all. Take them home with you. Read them when you get home. Read them again tomorrow. Read them again the next day. Let the urgency and the importance and the truth of them sink in. And above all, seek him that he might give you the grace to be found ready either on the day he comes in his return or the day he comes to get you at your own death. Let's do that. Let's pray. Our gracious God, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that Jesus has told us so many things. He's given us so much information. Some things... He's left unsaid, untold. But this too is part of your purpose and plan. And as we've heard today about the people in Noah's day who were caught by surprise when the flood came and washed them away, we would not want to be like them. So grant to us all that we need. Firstly, a living hope in him And then a watchful eye so that we'll always be watching the scriptures, watching what they say, living every day as if it could be our last, praying that he might come soon. Come, Lord Jesus, come, we pray, and help us most of all to be ready. We pray this in his name. Amen.